today on the Word Preacher Podcast. On the edge of ruin, imminent destruction, and a stronghold in the day of trouble. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. Our Come Follow Me curriculum for this coming week will bring us to Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah in the Old Testament. Um, If we look at kind of the history between these three prophets, they all were sort of in the neighborhood of around 610 B.C. Um, Nahum prophesies about the coming destruction of Nineveh which was the capital of Assyria. This was accomplished a few years before um, the Chaldeans took over. They were the ones who kind of supplanted the Assyrians as the superpower when Nebuchadnezzar rose to power. Um, Assyria had been an unchallenged superpower, and this was about to come to an end. Uh, Zephaniah also prophesies concerning the fall of Nineveh and the last Philistine cities, uh, some of the other neighbors of Judah, but he also includes the fall and the restoration of Judah itself. So we kind of get an idea that, you know, 600 BC, this is this is going to be the beginning of the end when, when the Chaldeans rise to power. And Habakkuk comes, and his uh, book is kind of a little bit different because he instead of talking to the people, uh, presents this dialogue that he has as he receives this revelation from the Lord, where he's surprised that God has raised up these heathen, the Chaldeans, in part to destroy Judah. Um, Now, because these prophets were so close to a great deal of destruction, their messages, they're not particularly upbeat or happy. The people of Judah at this time needed to understand the gravity of their circumstances, and they had a bad habit of picking to listen to prophets who only told them what they wanted to hear, and casting out prophets like Jeremiah or Lehi, who carried bad news like imminent destruction. All right. Um, Speaking of imminent destruction, let's go to a little bit of reading from the first chapter of Zephaniah. Starting in verse 14, it reads, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men, that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance 
of all them that dwell in the land. Now, some of the terminology in those verses may seem a little bit familiar if you've studied some of the prophecies involving the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there's a reason for that. Um, you know, darkness, alarm, the uh, day of darkness and gloominess, clouds and thick darkness, wasteness and desolation. This is, uh, this is something that should be expected. It's not a bad comparison. The abomination of desolation, which was spoken of by Daniel the prophet, it was intended to be fulfilled multiple times. And this symbolism that we see in the Old Testament connects to us in exactly this way. These people were on the edge of ruin. Destruction was imminent. And we find ourselves in the latter days in similar circumstances. The message that they have, the theme of these prophets is also very clear. It's that we should be prepared for difficult times that are on the horizon. Now, prophets have for years talked about the importance of both physical and spiritual preparation. In addition to having some home storage for food and necessary supplies, we've shifted toward a home-centered, church-supported teaching system in the Come, Follow Me curriculum that we've been studying. And as much as I've appreciated the support for the Word Preacher podcast, let me re-emphasize that it is never enough just to listen to someone else talk about the scriptures. Hopefully, though, we can inspire one another to search individually and as families for the messages that will give us counsel and inspiration and prepare us to have the spiritual strength necessary to follow the Lord. This has to be done individually. Gold and silver will not be able to purchase mercy in the day of wrath. We see this also in the parable of the ten virgins, who represent members of the church. Five foolish virgins had not purchased enough oil, and when they went to go to them that sell, it was too late to start. This is vital for us to examine the level of our oil and the direction that our supply is trending today. Invest in your testimony. Don't waste time living in nuanced views that would encourage you to question the Lord's prophets and apostles in favor of doing whatever is popular or is justified by people who hate his church. Elder Neil Anderson, Neil A. Anderson, talked about President Nelson's approach to prophetic counsel before he had become president of the church by talking about how he did not put question marks at the end of every bit of counsel from the prophet, but instead exclamation points. He was he wasn't spending a lot of time asking whether or not the prophet was speaking as a prophet in a given circumstance, but instead asking how he could be more like him. This is the approach. A faith-first approach increases 
and produces oil. The doubt-first approach depletes it. Be careful in how we approach our spiritual learning. All right. Uh, as we move on, talking about uh, stronghold in the day of trouble. Habakkuk was dismayed that a loving God would raise up the Chaldeans to punish Judah. Uh, if we look at uh, chapter 1, verse 6 of his book, it reads, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. And then a little bit later, starting in verse 12, Art thou not from everlasting, O, my, o Lord my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? So here we have the exchange. Verse 6, the Lord is telling Habakkuk that he's going to raise up the Chaldeans. He's going to raise up Babylon, and they're going to go through the whole land and uh, take it over. They're going to conquer. And then we have the response a little bit later from Habakkuk, who's saying, how could you possibly do this? I mean, Judah might not be super righteous, but you're going you're gonna to take these these absolute heathens who are murderers and and idolaters in very severe uh, degrees, and you're going to favor them over thy people? The answer, of course, was yes. Yes. Um, and part of that is because Judah has betrayed the Lord. They were not fulfilling the purpose for which they were chosen. And having a higher amount of righteousness was not enough. They needed to be moving in the right direction. And they were trending worse and worse as time passed. But that having been said, the Lord is clear that in the end, um, God will make things right. He's going to make it okay. If we read in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, it reads, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, and establisheth a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity? For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. So here we have this idea, the person that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. In other words, those who plunder and conquer and oppress, that's not going to be that way forever. That's a temporary solution. That's a temporary amount of power. In other words, when you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And the Book of Mormon testifies of this truth plainly. 
as it describes the miserable state that became of the, for example, Gadianton robbers and other secret societies that murdered to get gain. Particularly among the Jaredite societies, we had Akish, the son of Kimnor, and uh, it, he realized very quickly, oh, hey, I can murder people and get power. And he did and became king, but then he spent the rest of his reign worried that other people were going to do the same thing. And so, of course, he had to murder them to keep his power. And everyone was in this cycle where they needed to murder other people and take their stuff until there was just a handful of survivors left from the carnage of this quick path to power. It never works. Live by the sword, die by the sword. The way to happiness, the way to prosperity, can never come from stealing. The way to happiness is through God, to serve and show kindness and mercy, to give rather than to steal, and to create rather than to destroy. Habakkuk, in the end, praises God for his goodness. Um, Zephaniah, book that has, uh, this is a fascinating prophecy. If we look uh, in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. Absolutely fascinating. Not only will the wicked in various nations be consumed, but the people will be turned to a pure language and serve him with one consent. Now let's talk about the word pure here. The word varar that is used for pure can mean either chosen or choice or pure. And derivatives of the same word uh, can be used when it's used kind of in a verb form instead of a describer as to uh, brighten something, to cleanse it, to purge it. Uh, and this is kind of an interesting way to think about this. Because language purity, language choosing and brightness and cleansing uh, implies that there are impurities in the language. Now, English, for example, has mutated to the point where the way it was spoken a thousand years ago is barely recognizable today. Now, for example, here is how Old English would have pronounced the Lord's Prayer. Something like this. Fada ura, thuthe erton hyovnam. Zula Ustudag, Unforjiva Sura Yiltas, 
swa swa way for yeveth urum yil tendum, and the yeleduus uncosnunge, ac alusas of uvele, sothliche. You probably didn't recognize very much. You can get a few things. Forgive us uh, today, heaven, um, thine will on Eorthan. But there's a lot of stuff in there that uh, it was, it's almost unintelligible. And when we think about how shifts have completely changed meanings, structures, pronunciations, introduced numerous complex rules and exceptions to those rules, it's easy to see how language is impure. And it's not just English. I mean, all of the various Romantic languages sprung from Latin with other influences that kind of corrupted them from Latin. And even Latin is an offshoot from other languages in the Indo-European family. There are various languages that all stem from an Afro-Asiatic family and other language families, and then isolates that have morphed. But I can imagine that there will be a day in which all people will be united through language. And not just any language, a choice language that is deliberate in its meaning and clarity. Another perspective on the purity of our language will be that it will be uncorrupted with dishonesty. The people who speak it will be true together, serving God with one consent. The intent to deceive or take advantage of others, to misrepresent, to malign, these intentions will be purged from our language, from how we communicate. And while we aren't ready to engineer or reverse engineer the specific syntax, vocabulary, and structure that God will speak in that day, or that he likely spoke to Adam and Eve, we can prepare by at least removing the spiritual impurities from the way that we speak our languages today. In other words, speak truth. Don't apologize for God or his prophets. Let their counsel accompany your language. Speak goodness. Value the sons and daughters of God as such. Seek to uplift and propel one another toward our divine potential. All right, one final thought. I am originally, as you, if you've listened to this podcast before, you realize I'm originally from Southern California. And as such, I'm a huge fan of In-N-Out Burger. Absolutely delightful restaurant. I was sometimes dismayed when it arrived in Utah when I was living there by how quickly some of the people who are not from California seemed to be, uh, you know, jump in and tell me, oh, how can you even like that? It's so overrated. Uh, it's actually a high quality burger and it's delicious. And now, I know that when I taste it, I'm getting more than they are. I'm getting some nostalgia with it. I taste more than the juicy tomatoes, the grilled beef, and the melted cheese. I taste the Southern California breeze, the swaying palm trees, the warm sunshine, 
and my memories of family and friends in beautiful Southern California. Others don't have those memories, and so it doesn't trigger the same. I get it. But one way or the other, if you purchase an In-N-Out double-double, um, you can get, with your purchase, a noteworthy reminder. On the paper wrapper of the burger is a reference to a scripture that is one of my favorites in all of the scriptures. It says Nahum 1-7, which I would like to read. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. In the end, God will make everything right. He is a stronghold when trouble comes. And trouble is all around us. We live in perilous times and we deal with difficult circumstances. But just as these ancient prophets declared, God is the answer to these problems. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at Haggai and Zechariah. Of course, there's a ton of stuff we did not get into with three books we covered this week. So please study those individually and with your family. And of course, as always, fight on.